Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello and welcome to the Dementia Research podcast. Um, Today we're going to be discussing life in the lab. My name is Oz Ismail and I'm a PhD student and also used to be a research manager, so this is very relevant to me. Now, the lab can be our home, uh, especially when we're doing long experiments. We can spend hours and hours in the lab doing pointless experiments, countless experiments, most of which, in my experience, go horribly wrong. But I'm joined today by a bunch of panellists whose experiments go not horribly wrong, but very right. Joining me today uh, is David Stedman, who I understand is a member of a band. So we're going to hear a bit, bit about that as well. Uh, we're also joined by Christina Toomey, who's a netball enthusiast, and Yolanda Ohini, who's a tap dancer. But they're all also scientists by day. So uh, why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us about what you do during the day? Let's start with Yolanda. Hi, my name is Yolanda Ohini, and I work for the Centre of Advanced Biomedical Imaging at UCL. So my PhD has been in developing an MRI technique um, to look at blood-brain barrier permeability as possibly an early uh, detection method for uh, neurodegenerative diseases uh, such as Alzheimer's disease. And where does the tap dancing come in? Oh yeah, um, I have to say my opinion about tap dancing is it's the most underrated dam- dancing. We should see more tap dancing. All right. And uh, Christina? So I'm a postdoc now at UCL, based between the Dementia Research Institute with Henrik Zetterberg and the Queen Square Brain Bank with Tamarine Lashley. And basically what I, my aim is to do is to look at pathology of all the neurodegenerative diseases and then look at the proteomics for those as well and try and match up and uh, cross-validate them between the two. And you love netball? Yes, I do love netball. I play twice a week and the Netball World Cup is just coming up in a couple of weeks. So very excited about that. (laughs) And David. Hi, I'm uh, David Stedman. Uh, I feel a little bit out of place here because I'm uh, actually a chemist. So on a panel of biologists, uh, the odd one out. Uh, But I'm a medicinal chemist uh, and I'm working at the uh, Alzheimer's Research UK uh, Drug Discovery Institute here at UCL. Uh, And as a chemist, uh, kind of my role and the role of our team uh, is to try and develop new medicines um, against Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. Um, And it's not just a a chemistry team at the Institute. We have biologists and pharmacologists. So a lot of what we do is um, interdisciplinary research uh, and a lot of um, collaboration and collegiate kind of work goes into that, uh, which is quite cool. But yeah, as I say, as a chemist, my role is to to really uh, make new drugs. Nice. And I'm going to ask you about your band. Mm, please do. I want to try and plug <laughs> yeah. plug the band. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so I'm yeah the lead guitarist of a band called Love Volcano. We are a London-based covers band, available for all sorts of functions, <laughs> weddings, birthdays, etc. Uh, yeah, and that's just really uh, a thing that has kind of happened over a few years. Friends of friends who come together, and it's kind of a good thing to do outside of outside of work. Let off some steam. Nice. All right. So I'm going to kick off by asking uh, all of you. Uh, controversial question what is the worst thing you have done in the lab it the question is up for grabs anyone can go first (laughs) 
I think for me, um, it's just misplacing a lot of samples. <laughs> so I work in a brain bank, so every sample is very okay, precious. Okay, that, that's uh, when you said misplacing. <laughs> only <I> temporarily, thought... <laughs> only temporarily. But um, it's just then having that ma- mad panic, like yeah. trying to find where you've put them, and they're like somewhere deep in a freezer, some bit where, and you just think, oh gosh, where have I, what have I done with them? But Okay, okay, it's that's, all good. Uh, I found them that's in pretty, the end. <laughs> yeah, that's not the worst thing. But yeah, I don't have many bad things actually. I think I broke uh, a bit of kit at the beginning of my PhD. I was using a very specific bit of apparatus, uh, and it was like literally my first week. And I think I managed. It was like a very sensitive pH probe, and I managed to smash it um, completely by accident. <laughs> cost about a grand to replace which in in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot of money but when you first started your phd and you're trying to like look like you know what you're doing mm. and you've got to go to your boss cap in hand and say oh i broke something that's worth a thousand pounds yeah that didn't go down too well yeah and that's pretty tough but you learn fairly quickly not to make things like that i've stabbed myself a few times with various bits of glassware and things like that as a chemist that's kind of uh, uh kind of goes with the territory i think but thankfully nothing too major how about you, Yolanda? I'm really sorry, but I have <laughs> sneakily stole some olives from the fridge before. <laughs> so I can't say names, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm that sorry. still counts as a lab crime, okay? In my days as a research manager, people would come to me and complain about food going missing. <laughs> yeah, sorry, once that was me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So um, in the grand scheme of things, no one's done anything that terrible or you don't want to admit to doing anything that terrible on air I guess but that but you know that's that's part of life isn't it but I guess how do you the other question I want to know is how do you then uh manage relationships the moment uh something goes wrong it's very important that you have the right person to go to sometimes you go to your boss if you're David and you're very confident uh I would not have done that (laughs) I would probably first go to uh, a friend of mine and be like I did this bad thing so uh how important do you think it is to maintain these relationships in the lab or do you think it's not that important I think it's really important because you've got to have your go-to like ah something went wrong person Mm. um so they can help you cover up your crime (laughs) (laughs) and preferably if you've got them on speed dial that's also that's also good i mean it's kind of hard to um sometimes they leak out these things that you do so then also having um you know just admin fessing up it's a good thing. Mm, mm, that's good. Uh, what's the word? Good lab citizenship. Yes, mm. yes, I like that. Yeah, I would. Say, I would agree. It's so important to be able to talk to your peers. I think in the lab. So before you go to the more senior people, I would suggest having a go, talking to those, and um, seeing what they think about your mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, you might so. be blown out of proportion as well. <laughs> For sure. I think having a support network in the lab is, is massively important, uh, especially like, I don't know, if you're doing a master's project or a PhD, or even if you're you know, starting off as a postdoc. Um, everyone's been there. Everyone's done stupid things. Everyone's done, you know, mislaid things or broken things or, you know, has imposter syndrome, all that kind of stuff. So I think uh, more often than not, you might be beating yourself up, but someone else is going to say, don't worry, I've done exactly the same thing. Mm. It's not a big deal. Um so I think, yeah, the, the relationships in the lab, I think, are absolutely crucial to having a good research environment because it's such a stress. If you're doing a PhD, for example, it's such a stressful environment and you'd be having days where you're just like, why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? Mm. Um, and it's important to have someone have that perspective. It's like, don't worry, you know, you're doing the right thing. You just got to crack on and, uh, yeah, have that support. 
Yeah, yeah. During my time as a research manager, I actually really appreciated it when someone would just be honest about, no matter how big or small the the, the crime was, uh, because it then made me trust that person more, regardless of how expensive it was going to you know, be to fix it. Because I didn't want to get into the situation where I told people off constantly and then they'd be like, oh, this guy is stressful to deal with. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important to to build those relationships, especially, you know, be buddies with your lab manager. Mm. Always, always useful, especially because they know where the money is. <laughs> <laughs> did not hear that from me. <laughs> but I think if you have, like, junior members of the lab and stuff like that, you'd much rather someone come to you before they do something they're not sure about then do that thing and then, you know, create an ex- you know a situation that's a million times worse than what it could have been. So I think it's important, you know, as other members, of st- you know, to be uh, approachable uh, mm. and to not be, you know, people don't have that fear then of coming to you. Right. For sure. So true. So during my time, like when I started my PhD, I remember doing these long, long experiments. So I do, uh, like Yolanda, because we're in the same uh, lab, I do lots of MRI scans and I used to have to scan for hours and hours and hours late into the night. And um, for me, the only way I got through that is because I had like a buddy who would scan with me. Now, can you tell me a bit about what your experiments are like? How long would you spend in the lab? And like, what is what is your lab environment like? What's your day like? So mine is quite varied, actually. Um, So if we're doing um, some immunohistochemistry, which is looking at uh, pathology under the microscope, um, we can spend about a day doing that. Um, however, then there are some experiments that will then last multiple days or some only a couple of hours. But I think the main thing for me, especially when I was doing my PhD, was to talk to other PhD students and or even postdocs as well to just kind of always bring yourself back to the the centre if you, you're thinking, oh, I'm doing all these long hours, is it even worth it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think you can easily get off track and not see the importance of what you're doing for those long experiments. But if you just step back and take a look at why you're doing it, then it brings you back to focus. Sure. I think as a chemist, our day-to-day is... The, the time frame of chemistry and biology is very different, something I've noticed working with biologists in that... You know, biologists can set up, for example, if you're doing animal studies, you could spend years just developing your model before you do any experiments. Um, whereas for a chemist, you know, our reactions and, and the, the time frame is so much shorter. So I could go in the lab and put on, you know, five, six experiments that could realistically finish by the end of the day uh, and then crack on and do the next thing. Um, but generally, you know, as a chemist, we can we go through a cycle of sort of design, synthesize and then test and it depends where you are in that kind of cycle. You might spend a few weeks designing all the compounds you want to make and then make them and then test them and wait for the data to come back in before you do your other iterations of design. Um, or you might be in a synthesis cycle where you're just basically, as we call it, compound bashing, where you just like you have a methodology and you just bash, 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 try and get out as much as you can. Um, but yeah, I think the timeframes for chemistry and biology are very, very different. So we don't really have long experiments or like uh, extended periods where you'd have to stay focused and do a thing like through the night, for example example um so i think yeah that that we don't really have that but i think staying staying focused over doing if you're doing seven or eight experiments at once which is quite common for us but knowing exactly what's going on in each one of those is quite difficult and to be organized and make sure you're not forgetting which one is which and where you've put things and that kind of stuff 
So basically, for better work-life balance, be a chemist, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> it's not all smooth <laughs> You made it sound amazing, all right? Um, don't backtrack now. We, we generally don't work outside of office hours generally for most experiments is it's that just since that, you became a postdoc is that no no really? well yeah i suppose i <laughs> yeah. as a phd student i did all my experiments in office hours right. but then i did work at home yeah um i don't want to <laughs> downplay that yeah. yeah i did a lot of work at home but experiment wise our experiments even if they last over a few days are actually you leave it for the day and you come back and then do your next part the next day mm-hmm. um so it's not in a sense, as bad as your imaging sounds. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suppose I'm the other end as well, that I'm kind of a biophysicist. So it's like um, you can do small, the physics side of it, you can tap tap in and tap out, but when it comes to like the bio side, um, it, you really have to be locked in for the long, for the long <laughs> haul. And... Um, Unfortunately, I, I don't know. They didn't give me a buddy when <laughs> when I started my PhD. So I've been because they of... trusted you. <laughs> they didn't trust me. I've <laughs> so been a bit of a lone wolf in the lab there. But what's quite nice is that people look out for each other. Um, and so if you are having like quite long days, people come in with sometimes tea. Sometimes it doesn't have sugar in, but I'll let <laughs> I'll let them off. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, I'm going to ask you a controversial question, which is not that controversial, actually. Have you or have you not ever stolen a reagent from the lab because you were in a rush and not told anyone? You can... We won't name labs or names, just yes or no. Any of you. There's definitely been times when you borrow from mm-hmm. maybe the floor above yes, or something laundry. like that. This is what I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> but um, generally we always help each other out. So it, it kind of goes and swings and roundabouts, I think. <laughs> Everyone Take the does last a little bit, bit of As long as you're something. not taking the mickey. <laughs> yeah. How about... I think in our lab, generally, it's more that... Obviously you keep stock solutions at certain levels and then we have to make up solvents for some of our uh, bits of equipment, for example... And you do find that some people are the takers and not the makers. So they will kind of wait until the stockpile is completely empty and then just pretend that it's not there. They'll take the last bit and then walk <laughs> away. Always yeah. There was never any reagent here. What are you talking about? Um, and so little things like that, you, you quickly find people who sort of never empty bins mm. and never kind of reorder consumables. This is the dirt I want, yes. Things like that. As a lab manager, you probably realise that as well, you know, that there's always people who never quite you know have to be the ones who order anything or unpack things or take mm. responsibility for stuff so that can be a little bit frustrating at times for sure yeah i'm not that person <laughs> you said right. really quickly i mean that brings me nicely onto my ne- the next question i was going to ask which is without naming names the worst lab member crime dish the dirt what is the worst thing that's happened in the lab that you've thought this is the worst thing that someone has done to my science or just to my life today <laughs> in the lab. Gosh, you're I, all from such nice labs. I think for me, <laughs> the main thing is the annoyance of people never mm-hmm. doing things around the lab to help out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not one thing in particular, uh, but you, I think I'd just reiterate the point. That, yeah. yeah, and how, how would you deal with that? Like, what, what, what would you do? 
pitch and moan, isn't it? Just pitch and moan. <laughs> a lot of emails get sent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Passive aggressive notes. Yeah, passive aggressive emails. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Notes. And then like... just taking things away sometimes has happened. Uh, so that people don't have access to the things that they're not contributing mm. to. Um, but I think that's a, a really important lesson for students mm. and like undergraduates and PhD students yeah. coming in, master students. Um, is just to make yourself a team player in the lab mm. because if you do that, everyone will think much better of you and yeah. you're, you're more likely to get help with your actual science. So true. Be um, a good lab citizen. I think it's definitely a key key point. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm worried because I can't think of anything. So I'm like, am I doing it? Yeah, aside from the olives, which I also didn't know about, I can assure you, you're fine. <laughs> But I think there's an important point to make there, which is, you know, some of these things, they do actually cost a lot of money. Like, for instance, when I think about stuff that's frustrated me in the lab is when people have taken, say, surgical tools, which are very expensive and very fine tools that they've used and or taken away or they've put back, but they've damaged it and then I have to, you know, replace it. And it's very expensive. So those are the things that maybe some people don't necessarily think about, uh, but it does affect a lab member and their research. Right. So. It is, as, as much as we make jokes about it, from both a uh, lab manager perspective and a PhD student perspective, I will say it is actually quite annoying when people don't, um, yeah, follow the rules or, you know, think about other people. But, you know, the way I get around is I just lock everything up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've talked a lot about the annoying stuff, but tell me about your best day in the lab. Is, has there ever been a day where you've been like, I have cured something because <laughs> we haven't cured alzheimer's yet uh i or i have made a breakthrough or just you've just felt really good tell me about one of those good days in the lab i think any day where your experiment works is a good day mm. but if it's an experiment that you've been working on for a long time and it's going to be a big part of say your thesis or your next grant proposal or paper then i think that those days are the best <laughs> you're very happy on those days for sure i think um it's often things not the things you expect sometimes you're waiting for the result of a big experiment you think this is going to be oh, when this comes out i'm going to be so pleased and it comes out and you go all oh, right but then other days you can find that you've had an incredibly satisfying day for the smallest thing Sometimes it's just, at least as a chemist, because we're making, synthesizing molecules. Sometimes, you know, it can take you months to make one molecule that you've been aiming to make. And there can be loads and loads of failures along the way. And then, yeah, when you finally do get to the end of it, sometimes you don't even care. Oh, OK, we're making molecules to test, but sometimes you don't even care if it's active or it does anything. It's the satisfaction of having gone through the, the trials and tribulations and actually made it. And you think, actually, yeah, do you know, what? that's that's what we're in the lab to do to overcome things and, and to, to, yeah, get the satisfaction at the end. Yeah, I think for me, um, I just love, um, sounds really nerdy, like learning new things. Mm. And so it's like when you learn like a new technique, cause, because I've come from a physics background, I learned how to do a PCR, which is like a very, um, I think it's quite a basic uh, biology technique. But, Fairly, yeah. But the first time that I ever got a PCR curve, I was like, whoa, this I mean, is brilliant. You, you say that, right? But I'm a biologist and I, was, I spent six months 
trying to do a Western blot, which is just basically trying to quantify a protein. It's something that it's like the ABCs of biology, I think. And everybody can do this. And I was the idiot who just couldn't do it. And I spent six months in this lab in America <laughs> trying to optimize this. And it worked on my last week there. And yeah, like for nice. me, that was like the best day, even though it's the most basic thing ever. No, yeah, I agree. Stuff like that is is good. If yeah. you've been working on something and optimizing protocols yeah. and it finally works after not yeah. working for ages, then that's really good. I think there is a point there for like researchers coming up, students and, and, and so on, is that it don't expect things to work first time and actually appreciate when they're not, you know, because it will be so satisfying. You will get there one way or another and it will be worth it when you get there. It's like the, the it's easy when things are, are going well, but when things are going hard and you're in that dip, then it's tough. But, you know, it's it, when you get to the to the rise again and things start getting good, that's when it really feels satisfying for sure. Mm. So you're seasoned lab members, right? And obviously, people probably do ask you a lot to train new people. Thoughts? Do you like it? Do you hate it? You can be honest. Oh, no, um, it's not for me. I, I, I've got my, um, I've got my protocol locked down. Yeah. I'm in and out. Don't mess around. Yeah, don't, don't be slowing me down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Survival of the fittest at Yolanda. No messing. So for me, it's actually a bit of a mixed answer, I guess, because since I've become a postdoc. Um, I help a lot of PhD. <laughs> well, no, but I help a lot of PhD students. But now I have a master student of my own, nice. and then I've got some summer students coming, like that are undergrads and things. But it all depends on the student, yeah. I find. So, mm. I, and I, I think the main thing for me, the biggest bugbear with training students is that they don't appreciate how mm. busy you are, and that you're actually going out of your way to help them. Yeah. Um, but if you get a, a student that does appreciate that and is really keen to learn and and is really motivated then i think it's actually quite rewarding mm. uh, to teach somebody and inspire them to also pursue science yeah but how do you, how do you then manage this because it's important that you manage that relationship right because you know they know you're a senior member in the lab but also you need to be able to maintain you know that relationship with them as you're training them and also tell them to back off when they when you need them to back mm -hmm. off so you can get on with your own postdoc work yeah how do you manage that so um, i think i'm still learning <laughs> um but i think actually the importance is to try and remember what it's like to be at their level mm. for one thing so to to try and empathize with them um as to what they're probably worrying about and so you can have honest conversations about that and then to try and be helpful, but then actually still be quite assertive and set meetings or times that they can talk to you about these things if they have a problem. Um, try to be as open as you can, obviously, but if you are really busy, then you need to do that because otherwise your time just does get encroached upon and mm. you really struggle to actually complete your own research. Sure. I think it is, it is. It can be quite difficult. And I agree, it does depend on the student. I find the students who actually want to learn are the more, ones that are, are more fun to kind of teach and to, to, to supervise. Because um, I have seen students come in, who, you know, with, with very little experience, but who, for whatever reason, are just absolutely convinced that what they're doing and the way they're doing it is right. And no matter how much you say, you know, like maybe you could consider that, you know, I've maybe got a bit more of experience and I can, maybe this is the best way to do it or a different way. Um, when they're not willing to learn and they're very, 
maybe single-minded and quite um, maybe a bit arrogant sometimes, um, that could be quite tricky because all you can really say is, look, if you want to do it that way, that's fine. But I'm saying it's probably not the best. Mm. So I think when you've got hum- like humble students who really, really want to learn and are quite passionate, then, then it can be quite fun for sure. So one of my favourite moments uh, in the lab every week is uh, Friday evening. <laughs> Not because I get to go home, because without fail, because, uh, you know, we're in a lab where everyone gets on with everybody. Without fail, around 4.30, there'll be like a murmur of, you know, moving to the pub. And by 5, 5.30, it's definitely happening, right? Everybody goes to the pub. That's I mean, I'm just because this is on record. I'm trying to pretend, pretend to be a good person, David. But you Sorry. know, I'm still I'm still at UCL trying to get my PhD. So, um, but you know, that's to me that's been a, a key part of maintaining like uh, sort of my own happiness in the lab is having a social aspect to lab life, and it's not just Friday evenings. We do organise you know other events uh, where we you know go out together as well. But I have been in labs where that's not. That's not something they do, but it's still a great lab and everybody gets on from, you know, nine to five where we're all in the same space and genuinely does. So how important do you you guys think that is and do you think that factors into your well-being? Yeah, I think that definitely, definitely factors in and whether it's going to the pub um, on a Friday or any day um, or maybe having lunch together... um, if there's some sort of social aspect to the lab, I think that definitely makes things um, a lot easier. And also, um, you get to know um, you get to know people on a non scientific level as well, and you can find out some really interesting things <laughs> about who you who you work with, um, which is also which is also great. Um, I worked in France for a little bit, and they love to have the longest lunch possible, and that was excellent. Yeah, for me, I think fairly similar. Um, it's really good to be socialising with your uh, lab colleagues because um, that's the kind of atmosphere where you get to know somebody and then you will feel comfortable to go and talk to people mm. um, when you're having mistakes in the lab or yeah. struggling with a long experiment, or etc. Um However, like actually recently in my lab, we've probably done it a little less than what we used to, and you can actually really tell the difference. Um, and so we're trying to pick that back up again, <laughs> and, and we went on Friday to the pub. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's really good, especially to talk to your... to go and socialise with your peers, especially, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think um, in a similar way, like I've been in labs that have had a large social aspect and some that haven't. Uh, and I've enjoyed both. I mean, during my PhD, yeah, we'd go out a fair amount. And there were quite a few PhD students. So I think if you have yeah, peers, people on the same level of kind of research as you, early career researchers, yeah, having that social aspect is good. And you always have someone to moan at or someone who can empathise with your situation. Like, you know, my experiments didn't work today. Oh, yeah, you know, and, and empathise over a drink and stuff. And that's, that's great. Um, but, yeah, I think labs tend to... They find a way to socialise. If you're not going out after the lab, you know, you find that some labs are more chatty at lunch times or coffee breaks or stuff like that. So I think generally labs find a way to socialise with each other. Mm. Um, but I'm a big fan of the Friday night pub for sure. Can I just add though, actually, 
you have to be careful when you are socialising to yeah. include everybody <laughs> mm. um, because actually, and that's where it comes into lunch breaks and coffee breaks maybe, yeah. is also a good time to socialise because there's people obviously with children, etc. Yeah. in the lab. People and, who don't want to drink. And well. I think previously in the past, some people don't necessarily want to go to the pub, yeah. um, especially if they don't drink, etc. Yeah. But yeah, if you, so if you can socialise in lots of different ways, yeah. including the pub, um, then that's also really good. Great. Well, sadly, we've come to the end of our chat today, but I've really enjoyed talking to all three of you. Um, I'd like to thank all of you for taking the time to come and chat to Dementia Researcher. You can visit our website anytime and look at our profiles, and do go and look at our profiles, because, um, you know, we tap dance and play netball and have bands <laughs> and such. Uh, if you have anything else to add on this topic, please do post your comments. Uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ECRDementia. Finally, please remember to subscribe to this podcast uh, so that, you know, and tell, tell people, tell your friends. Um, through we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere. Please share and also post your review. My name's Oz. I've had a great time. Thank you and goodbye. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.